tall. And he jumps into the center of the stage and he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's basically what the video was. So do you want to reenact it? I didn't bring the suit. Oh, shoot. All right. Well, just it's in there. It's in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Breaking barriers. Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, goodness. Say that at the wall. Anyway. Whew. All right. So <laughs> we are continuing our series on, on breaking barriers. We are in the midst of the, the final quarter of our core values, the fire values. And E, as you all probably know by now, is extending the kingdom. And last week, when I was in Vandalia with Cameron, and you heard him the week prior to that, he talked about this uh, idea that there is a veil that is keeping people uh, back, right? That's keeping people from being able to in- encounter or understand understand or perceive the kingdom. And so it was an awesome message. I actually listened to it twice. It was super, super good. So I encourage you, if you haven't heard it, to go back and listen to it. And today, what I want to do is kind of talk about a different barrier. So, uh, and I want to talk about these barriers that that we can create in our own lives. We kind of create these barriers of like, this is who I'm going to love and this is who I'm not going to love or this is who I'm going to extend the kingdom to and this is who I'm not going to extend the kingdom to, okay? And so we are going to be talking about who is my neighbor uh, based on the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, verse 25 to 37. And I was actually, this, this weekend I've been really nervous about about uh, of speaking today, and which is, I'm usually not this nervous, and then Cameron shows up out of the blue, and so my, my nerves have jumped up uh, a step. So, so that's good. That's exciting. So we're excited about that. We're just going to keep pressing through, and the, we're going to... We're going to break this barrier. And the other thing, uh, the, the reason that I was a little bit nervous was um, that I feel like I need to kind of give a disclaimer at the, at the front end of a sermon. And I think that that's always a little bit scary, right? It's always if you have to give a disclaimer, you have to be a little bit worried. So here it is. If you are a person that can tend to fall into that kind of this legalism or a works righteousness idea, this teaching is not a works righteousness teaching. And if you begin to feel that, that's just reject it because that is not my heart. We are saved by grace through faith alone, okay? In Jesus Christ. So this, this is what we're talking about is that our response as Christ followers, as we have stepped into relationship with Jesus, this is our response. We are called to be neighbors, okay? All right. So um, we're going to talk about just a couple of things. The first point is going to be that love is an action, right? And we're going to look at how God's love for us has always been, always will be, and always is an action. The second thing is that our love for God is an action. And finally, that our love for others is an action, all right? Um, Maybe I should have just played the DC talk song, Love is a Verb, on, on repeat, you know, for the next half hour, but I decided not to do that. I don't know. Did you sing it? No. <laughs> I will not sing it. Uh, and then the, the second point being that all people are our neighbors. We're going to see that in, in the story, this, this lawyer asked Jesus, who is it that is my neighbor? And basically, Jesus says, oh, it's not about who is your neighbor, it's about being a neighbor. Okay, so we're going to we're going to talk about that and then we're going to finish up talking about how we actually live this out in our lives. How uh, do we practically put this into action? 
All right, so let's start out by reading through the story of the Good Samaritan together um, in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so this guy's got it. He's maybe he's been listening to Jesus. You know, he's a law expert. Maybe he he dug this up. You know, he the the first part there is part of the the Shema. This was uh, the Lord our God is one. You love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your soul and with all your strength. And so devout Jews, they would pray that multiple times a day. And so that was kind of a no brainer. But this other added part, let me go back to that. This other part that says love your neighbor as yourself was a little bit more obscure. Right. This comes uh, from uh a text out of Leviticus, and we see um, earlier in, in the Gospels that Jesus himself, when asked, what is the greatest commandment, he brings these two pieces together. And so maybe this, uh, this lawyer had been kind of watching and following Jesus, and he wants to make sure, as he, you know, he understands the law, he's a law expert, he wants to make sure he gets all his ducks in a row. Here's this new rabbi kind of on the scene. I want to make sure that I am following this teaching because I definitely want to inherit eternal life. So he, and so he gives the right answer. And Jesus is super proud of him. He's like, great job, dude. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But... The, the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? All right, and here is where we come into the problem, right? This guy, he wanted to justify himself. And as we uh, read through the New Testament, as we understand what Jesus teaches us, we know that we cannot justify ourselves, right? We cannot stand on our, even our best works. The best thing we can do is just filthy rags, right? And we can only be justified through, through grace at um, apprehended by faith, right? Grace through faith. And so this guy has got it a little bit mixed up. He wants to justify himself. So Jesus tells a story as he is wont to do. Jesus says, uh, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus asks the lawyer. And the expert in the law replies, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. 
And so we see here that Jesus, really, he kind of spins the question around, right? He, the, the lawyer's like, all right, who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't really answer that, does he? Because he doesn't really tell us who this dead guy, or nearly dead guy on the side of the street is, right? And so what he's saying, what Jesus is saying, and I'm getting ahead of myself, is that everybody is your neighbor. But what sticks out in this story is that the the Samaritan who loved well, he was pro- this love was proven by physical action responding to need. All right, he met a physical need that he saw. He had compassion upon this man that he saw. And so, as we read this story here in the twenty first century, <laughs> in the twenty first century, we we maybe don't understand it as you know. It doesn't. It's not as clear as it would have been in the first century. We don't use Levite. We don't talk about Levites so much. We don't talk about Samaritans so much. And priests, maybe not necessarily in this exact context, right? But a Levite and a priest, they were, um, they were the, the religious leaders, right? They, the, they were the descendants of Levi, one of the tribes of Israel that came out of Egypt. And their job was to take care of the temple, take care of the tabernacle. Um, and so that's what the, the tribe of Levi did. And then the priests were the descendants of, of Aaron. And they would have been the kind of the the worship leaders or the, the ministers there that would have been doing the sacrifices and carrying out that kind of stuff, all right? And so these guys are the righteous and holy dudes in, in this story, right? And then the Samaritan, um, the, the Jews despised these people. They saw them as half-breeds. They saw them as traitors. They saw them as people who had turned their back on God and gone and intermarried with other pagan nations. And these guys were despised. And so these, these three characters Jesus picks would have had a very uh, significant meaning to the people listening to this story. And so I was trying to think, how do I kind of try to convey this idea of the story in our context. And so I thought of some real people that were priests and Levites and Samaritans in our day. And I realized that 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 quickly got super offensive. (laughs) (laughs) um, And so... So I decided, I decided to scratch that using real people examples. And, uh, and so as I am wont to do, I decided that I would try to put this in a context that we can all understand well. So imagine that Jesus is telling us the story today. And he says, um, these robbers beat this guy up. He's left for dead. And here comes Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Luke Skywalker, the Jedi master. This is post return of the Jedi. Luke Skywalker. All right, so he's a Jedi master. He's on his way to Onderon or Alderon or Tatooine or Datooine, Solace. We don't know where he's on his way to. He's just on his way to some planet. And here comes Luke Skywalker, Jedi master. And he probably has a lot going on, right? He's a big deal. These priests and Levites, they, were, they, had, they had important responsibilities, right? And so, so here's Luke Skywalker. He's on his way. He sees this guy left for dead. He's like, man, you know, I really need to go uh, meet with this Padawan in Jericho. And so I'm just going to, I just got to keep moving. All right. And, and the Jewish lawyer or we would be like, oh, that's a bummer. That's not what I expected of Luke. We kind of want more from him. He's very powerful. But wait, somebody else is coming down the road. Oh, who is it? 
It's got a wonderful accent that I can't do. His, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Here he comes. Oh, he is a very compassionate and loving Jedi, right? We, we love Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he takes care of Luke. He's a wonderful guy. But Obi-Wan also passes by the guy left for dead. Maybe he glances at him, and he's like, oh, i got to go fight General Grievous in Jericho, or else they'll be... Anyway, never mind. <laughs> All right, and so, so these two guys, the heroes, the, the people that we understand are the heroes, um, they pass by this guy, and then here comes the next guy. Somebody else is coming down the road. It's Darth Samaritan. Darth Samaritan comes walking down the road. And I don't know if you guys remember, certainly you remember, the beginning of Star Wars A New Hope. It's 1977. The Star, the Star Destroyer flies over the screen and, and, uh, and sucks the Tantive Four up into its belly, right? And there's a big firefight and the rebels are fighting. Boom, 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 boom. And then the door opens. There's smoke and there's this, all this craziness going on. And in walks this guy. It's Darth Vader, right? And nobody's seen him before. Nobody understands. But we look at him when we say he's, he's wearing all black. He's very tall. He's very scary. He's got that weird breathing thing. And we immediately don't like him. We immediately don't like him. We say there is something wrong with this guy. And so when Jesus tells the lawyer, he says, now here comes a Samaritan. His reaction was, there's something wrong with this guy. You know what? There is something. I don't like this guy already. And those other guys probably had a real good reason for passing him by. But this guy, he's probably going to come. He'll probably finish him off, maybe steal whatever he's got left. The Samaritan is trouble. What's going to happen? And here comes Darth Samaritan. And he stops. And he looks. And he goes over and you're like, uh-oh, here comes the force choke, right? Uh, no, it's force, force lightning. No, no, but Vader, Darth Samaritan, I'm getting my people mixed up. Darth Samaritan picks this guy up, right? Because he, he uses the force. He's very strong. He's more machine than man now. And he, uh, so Darth Vader, Darth Samaritan picks up this guy on the side of the road and puts him on his donkey. Why does Vader have a donkey? We don't know. It's... It's Jesus' story. I don't, I don't know. So, um, and so he puts, he put, Vader puts him on the donkey and he takes him into the, into Jericho and he takes care of him and he bandages it all up. All right? And so this is kind of, I know that was kind of a silly story, right? But this is kind of the cultural idea. They, this guy was anti the Samaritans, right? And so when Jesus says, who was my, who, which one, uh, what does he say? Which, uh, look at, uh, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the guy wouldn't even say the Samaritan, right? He despised the Samaritan. He's like, oh, I guess that one who had mercy on him. And so, and Jesus says, yep, exactly. Now go and do likewise. And we see that it wasn't about the, the Levites or the priests kind of theological understanding. It wasn't about their kind of doctrinal position. It wasn't about what they had to do, what they were doing. And it was about the one who was willing to stop and have compassion. And that is what we are called to do. Our love is to be proven by physical action responding to need. 
All right. And so we can see that God's love for us is revealed in his actions. And so I'm just going to go through this really quickly that God created us. Right. That's an action, an act of love. He created us to live in paradise, in perfect fellowship with him and with others and with the world. Then we see that after the fall, he immediately goes into action, planning this process of restoration. Right. And he removes us from the garden, which some people are like, oh, that doesn't seem very loving. But I think I could argue that it is the most loving thing he could do at the moment. All right. And so he shows love. And then throughout the Old Testament, we see a loving God pursuing his people and protecting them and guiding them and leading them. And then when the time had fully come, we see that he sends his only begotten son, Jesus, to the earth to reconcile us, which means to restore friendly relationships. Right. We were we were the enemies of God. We were shaking our fists and saying, we don't want your way. We want to do it our way. And yet, even in the midst of this, God sends his son. He acts out of love to reconcile us, to restore us into relationship with the father. And we can see that Jesus loves us uh, as he humbled himself, comes to earth, and allows himself to be crucified for each one of us. And so we can see, and that's just a super quick overview, right? We, that's, we can see that God's love for us is revealed in his actions towards us. Yeah. And in the same way, our love for God is an action. And there's... I'm not saying this. I'm just reading. It's right from the Bible. Okay. James chapter two, starting in verse 14 through 19 says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does not, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, I have faith. You have faith. I have deeds. And James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And this is, this is a pretty sobering verse. Right. And I'm not. And again, remember my disclaimer. We are saved by grace through faith. Right. We, God loves us and we are saved by grace. But when we are saved, when we come into a loving relationship with God, uh, our attitude should change and we begin to live out this love. And this love is not just positive thoughts towards people in the church or th- positive thoughts towards people that we encounter. It is actual actions. Right. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. And our love for God is an action. And so we can see uh, our faith revealed in actions when we, and our love for God uh, as we worship him, we bow down, we sing, we dance, we serve, we study, we hang out with him, maybe we soak, right? We have, there's actions in our lives that show that the love, our love for God is real, right? Our love for God is an action. And finally... Our love for others is an action. And really, that's what the, that chapter in James was talking about. But hey, look, our friend John, the Apostle of Love, also uh, mentions it in 1 John 2, uh, starting in verse 3. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That sounds difficult. 
And then, in ver- jumping a couple verses down, verse 9 says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Yeah. Right? And so being in the light is this another idea or another way to say of being in Jesus. Of if you are a Christ follower, um, but you hate a brother or sister, you are still in the darkness. Verse 10 says, Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. And so we can see that James talks about it. Uh, here, the Apostle John talks about it. Paul talks about it all the time, that our love for each other is supposed to be an action. We love each other, um, which is not just positive thoughts, but we bear with one another. We encourage one another. We um, support one another, and, and on and on and on it goes. And I did that. Boop, boop, boop. And so John, the guy who wrote this, wrote a gospel, right? And so in the gospel, this is Jesus talking, says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. So Jesus seems to agree with this concept as well, that we are to love one another. And so and if the gospel or the the epistle of First John says we're to love like Jesus loved, well then the question is, well, how did Jesus love? In Philippians 2, we can see, starting in verse 5, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Interestingly, Paul is again talking about relationships with other people. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death, on a cross. And this is the example that Jesus gives us. He's humble, he comes to serve, and he comes to embrace the pain of loving each one of us, of loving humanity. Right? And so we see, if we read through the Gospels, we see that Jesus served people, he healed people, he loved people, he ate dinner with them, he walked with them, he comforted them, wept with them, encouraged them, taught them, forgave them, and died on a cross for them. All of Jesus' love. He didn't just come down and say, I love you, and I love you, and I love you. I'll catch you later, right? He came down and said, I love you, and I'm going to prove my love for you by being willing to die on this cross, by doing, putting action to his compassion. And we can see a similar thing in the story of the Good Samaritan, right? We see that the, the Good Samaritan not, didn't just have pity on the guy, um, but he, he had pity or he had compassion on this guy. Then he went to him, bandaged him, poured on wine and oil, put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him, paid money to make sure someone else could keep an eye on him. You know, and these are all actions. He proved his love by an action. In our love, Just like the Samaritans, just like Jesus, just like Paul's, our love must be shown in actions that respond to needs. We have to respond to needs. We can't just think positive thoughts towards people. And so the the Samaritan, he was asking the question, well, how far do I have to go? What is the limit of love? There's a lot of people and... You know, you know, who exactly is my neighbor? Can we kind of narrow this down? And how much can I get away with? And in his context, he's a law expert. I, I discovered this in one of the commentaries that I was reading. There is a book that, uh, that was part of the, the Jewish scripture called Sirach. 
Sirach. And here in verse 4, it says, Give to the devout, but do not help the sinner. And, and so he was probably like, you know, I, I understand the scripture. I know that it is inappropriate to love certain people. I don't want to help. I don't want to accidentally help a sinner. Right. Or as the priest and, and the Levite are walking down, they know the, the law of God. They know that the law says I'm not supposed to touch a dead body because then I'll become unclean. And then I got to go through this whole process. And so I'm, I'm just going to keep walking because I love God so much. I'm so passionate about God. But they got it completely mixed up, right? Because the fulfillment of the law is love, right? And if, it, if we are using our commitment to God by saying, God, I love you so much, I'm just going to spend some, I got to spend some real good time in prayer. I just don't have time to, to meet the needs uh, you know, of these people in my church. Or I, don't, I don't have time to go down and volunteer because I just want to spend some time in worship, you know, because I love you so much. Ouch. You know, but it, and so if our love for God is keeping us back from showing love to real people with real needs, then we are missing it. So Jesus reveals in his teaching that there are not two groups of people, neighbors and non-neighbors. And one commentary says, rather than worry if someone else is a neighbor... Jesus' call is to be a neighbor to those who have need. So good. So that just rocks me, right? And so we see that Jesus is the ultimate neighbor, right? And that seems kind of weird. It seems like oh, we're kind of downplaying the significance of Jesus if we just say, he's a great neighbor, right? Wow, real good neighbor. I really liked having him around. He always kept his lawn mowed. Good job, right? And so, but, so this idea that, that Jesus embodied what neighborliness meant, Right. And so being a neighbor is a virtue that we must cultivate in our lives. And we see virtue lists periodically through uh, the, the Bible, especially in the New Testament. We see Paul and and some of the other writers talk about virtue lists. Number one that came to my mind is Galatians five twenty two to 24. We see the fruit of the spirit. Right. And so. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? And so we kind of, oh, pretty good. <laughs> That's all right. I was a Sunday school teacher. I know the song. So, um, and so, so we kind of, kind of think that uh, oh, if I love God, I'm going to be filled with love, and I'm going to be filled with peace and joy, and it's going to be awesome. And that's true to, to a certain extent. But if you read the context, we see that every one of these virtues is, a, is relational, Paul is not talking about this is what you're going to experience when you're alone in your in your prayer closet. He's saying this is what being a neighbor looks like. You love people and you are patient with them and you live at peace with them and you are kind to them and you are good to them. Right. And so we need to learn to cultivate this idea of neighborliness because Christianity is relational, pure and simple. We can't get away from that. It can't be just you and God. That's not how it works are to be saved. To be, to be saved <laughs> it means that we are Christ followers. We're going to follow Christ, and that means that we are going to pour out love on other people. But this is the good news, friends, as I wrap up here. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this way. It's not 
Jesus doesn't say, hey, be good neighbors, catch you on the flip side, right? He says, not only, I want you to be good neighbors, but I'm going to empower you to do it. I'm going to go away and I am going to send the Holy Spirit who is going to live inside you. And he's going to birth these virtues of neighborliness in your heart. And so, the, you know, there might be times where you don't feel like it. There might be times where it seems difficult and painful. But I'm going to empower you to step outside of yourself, to have the strength to live as I have called you to live. Awesome. Pretty good. So, in conclusion, the question is not, who is my neighbor that I should love them? The question is, how do I live out this call to be a neighbor? How do I do it? How do I put feet to this? You know, um, this is, uh, I heard, uh, I don't know where I heard this, but it, it stuck with me. And so there's, sometimes when I'm talking about things like this, uh, I've heard a, a preacher say, you know, that's, that preaches real well, but it's harder to live it out. And this is the same thing. You're like, oh, that sounds great. Love people. Okay, you know, I'm just going to be encouraging. But man, it gets a lot more difficult when we get out into the real world, doesn't it? But we can just ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill me. Give me strength. Give me eyes and ears to see where the needs are. Help me to see where those needs are. And beyond that, we need to have a compassionate heart. We need to not just... Because those two guys on the road, Luke and Obi-Wan, right? They saw, they saw and they heard the need. But they kept walking. It was the Samaritan that saw and heard and had compassion and was willing to step out of his own agenda, his own schedule. You know, we see through that story, he was probably wealthy. He had two denarii that he gave the innkeeper, and that was like two weeks of wages, right? And he had wine and oil. He's pouring on this guy to heal him. He's doing all this stuff. He's probably on his way to Jericho. He's maybe he's a businessman or he's a merchant. But stopping to help this guy was out of his agenda. He had to stop what he was doing and just embrace this opportunity. And sometimes living in uh, compassionate love for people is painful. You know, look at Jesus. Jesus was the best neighbor ever. And there's a lot of pain associated with him coming and dying on a cross for you and I. And we can see it in the, the Apostle Paul. Right. He showed his love uh, by wandering the, the known world, preaching the gospel. And he was whipped and, and beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and starving, you know, all this terrible stuff. But he was willing to embrace the pain as he looked for opportunities to meet real needs. And so I just encourage you to ask God every day how Will you show me, Father God, will you show me ways that I can love you by loving other people? And I believe that we're surrounded by needs and it might feel like, oh, there's so much need. There's so much going on that I can't possibly affect all of it. But I just, the the reality is we can, but we can make a difference right where we're at. You know, as we, as we lay down our wants, we lay down our desires, we lay down our agenda. All right. Amen. So let's uh, just close our eyes and let's just pray. Okay? I'm just going to close real quick. So, Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your great love for us. God, we thank you that you proved your love for us by dying on the cross. That you were willing to shed your blood to, to reconcile us to God. 
so that we could once again be on good terms. And God, as we believe that you are and you have done what you said you were going to do, God, you have saved us and you've chosen us and you've called us. God, as we allow that truth to penetrate our hearts, help us to walk it out. Help us to be your hands and your feet in this world. Help us to to break down every barrier, God, every limit by loving who you bring into our lives. And God, I pray that you would empower us, that you would strengthen us to do it, even when it feels hard or it feels painful. God, help us to follow you as we serve those that we encounter. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. You're so good. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming so much. It's been so good. On my right hand here, we are going to have our prayer team. Um, They would love to pray with you. If uh, something stood out to you in the message today or you want to make a commitment uh, to, to live for Jesus and to make him the Lord of your life, I just encourage you to come and they would love to pray with you. Or if you have a healing need or any need at all, they would love to pray with you. And on my left, we have the Rhema team, the awesome team that has been trained to hear God's word for you. And they will record it and they will bless you and they will encourage you. So I encourage you to to come and and get a, a word from them. All right. And with that, we are finished. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful Sunday. Bless you.